You can rebuild a motor, reboot your computer, even kickstart the old scooter. But what do you do when your own mojo is mutilated? That's where we step in. Welcome. I got my mojo. To the Mojo Radio Show. Hey everybody and welcome to the show, season six. If you're new to the show, welcome. Good to have you on board the big red bus that we call the Mojo Radio Show. In the backseat as always, known as our booth, our official voiceover guy. Good morning, AP. Sorry, what was that? <laughs> I think we should rename him Backseat Barbie. Oh, goodness me. <laughs> Backseat Barbie. I, you know, it's funny. I, I saw Barb at Triple M maybe two months ago. Yeah. And I think she said she'd been there almost two decades. Yeah. Oh, she'd been there longer than that. 20, maybe, maybe she said 25 years. 25, 30 years. Got to be close. Absolutely. Imagine the stories that Backseat Barb could oh. tell about the halcyon days of the M's. Anyway, we digress. Uh. That's Tone is the dulcet tone of our driver of the big red bus. Robbo, welcome to this week's show. Oh, yeah, g'day. And you should probably introduce, because you are becoming a tad lazy and that Divinals <laughs> T-shirt is becoming a tad tighter, it's a bit if stretchier, that's isn't possible. It? Yeah. Would you like to introduce us to our newest member of well, the crew for this season? Our latest addition to the Voodoo Sound slash Mojo Radio Show Studios is um, Lola, the digital studio assistant. Lola, say good morning. Hey there, big boy. So Lola is a uh, proprietary piece of software who basically drives the studio for us. <laughs> so got to be happy with that. And as I quite happily tell piece everybody, of software. mate, we're state of the art here at Voodoo Sound. You know that as well as I do. Yeah, we even have fresh coffee. Oh, that's gold. Now, before we introduce our guest for this week, I've got to say one of the real positives, and I've said this to guests of recent times on the show. One of the real positives of podcasts is the people you get to know. And it's funny, isn't it? We, we've kind of have built friendships over the years, over the six seasons with guys that we haven't met yet, like uh, Joe Navarro, uh, Ray Cashcare, David Costa, uh, Razor, yeah. <laughs> Noel Razor Smith. Noel Razor Smith. Jen Jackson. Jen Jackson. Just nice, nice people. Uh, yeah. Carol Adams-Miller. Mm-hmm. Just really nice people who we've gotten to know very, very well who you would sit down happily and have a beer or a cup of coffee with. Totally. And our guest this week is uh, a great friend of the show. He's a repeat offender and he's another one of our great friends from Canada. So without further ado, let's get him on. The Mojo Radio Show. It's the Mojo Radio Show Canadian connection. It is and he's probably <laughs> the catalyst in a lot yeah, of ways. totally. Because he introduced us to a whole stack of great Canadian talent, including Martin Reeder, who was the Canadian beach volleyball Olympic player. Uh, and I see someone he's just co-written a book with, which is Carolyn Brownlee. So uh, the guy we talk about is Stan Peake. Stan describes himself as an entrepreneur by nature, a coach by trade, and a catalyst by approach. And he is a guy who walks the talk because he's been a catalyst for us because he introduced us to a bunch of Canadian friends of his, all people at the top of their game. Now, The reason that we've got Stan back on today is because he's co-authored a new book called How to Sell in Any Economy, and he's co-written that with an old friend of ours, which is Catherine Brownlee, and another partner called Lee Castles. This is an interesting book, and the reason I say that is because Stan and his co-authors have put thousands of hours of research into how we behave, how we are motivated as buyers. 
And let's face it, if you don't have a business where customers are willing to buy from you, then you don't have a business. So this book is a good book. We had a copy of it. We breezed through it, loved it. Stan rang and said, what'd you think? And we said, mate, come back on the show and have a chat. So uh, without further ado, welcome back, Stan Peak, The Peakmeister. <laughs> How are you, mate? The Peakinator. The Peakinator. <laughs> the Peakinator. Oh, jeez. See, we've got your Aussie slang going already. Yeah, I need you guys on my team coming up with the nicknames in high school. They were way worse than that. <laughs> yeah, I've had some shockers, let me tell you. Uh, my son hates me. I gave him his rugby nickname. He, his, um, his, na- his nickname's Dallas because his name's Jack Robertson. So I called him Dallas, nicknamed him Dallas, and he hates it. <laughs> Again, there are far worse nicknames that you could be called. So, Stan, I believe you and Catherine Brown, another good friend of, our, of the show, uh, I believe you've got a book that's going very well for you. So I see on the interwebs. Yes, on the line, on the interwebs there. Uh, couldn't be happier, obviously couldn't be happier uh, to, to work with an amazing team like Catherine Brownlee and our colleague Lee Cassells, who resides in Victoria, BC. And we're thrilled. Um, these are two servant leaders, two people who are epitomized business as a force for good, and they are here to serve others and lift them towards their potential as I try to emulate in my business. So when it came down to who I wanted to really partner up with and have fun with and and write a great story, it was a no-brainer. It was two phone calls and away we go. And uh, two weeks ago, just over two weeks ago, we launched and we hit number one in all three of our categories on Amazon. So when your sales book is a bestseller, that's it checks the box and we're still going to work tomorrow. We're not retiring that fast, but uh, we're thrilled with the success. Thank you. Why, why has it been so successful, Stan? Because having seen the book, my first reaction was, do we need another book on selling? Obviously we do. Why has it been so successful? What, what is the message in there that is so profound that it, it has projected you guys? Well, it's funny you ask that. And it's that exact irony that we wanted to write the book. It's, as you alluded to, it's a very crowded space and there's no shortage of books on sales. Uh, and there's, there's three reasons why we wanted to write this book. The first reason was that in our collective experience, which is north of 70 years in business, across multiple industries, what we found is that true service professionals, those people that want to help others, often can't wrap their mind around selling. And, and so they'll, you know, they'll say things, I've actually coached other executive coaches who will say things like, if I could just coach all day and not have to sell, I'd be just so happy. Well, no shit, which business wouldn't want to just be full and not have to sell, right? So there is that notion, but, uh, and this is not to say suck it up and you're in sales anyway, so get behind it. But what it is to do this book, one of the first reasons is to challenge the mindset that sales is salesy or slimy or underhanded or manipulative, or that it's a, a, a battle of will to see if you can get your customer to part with their wallet. Uh, In in fact, the book is organized into three sections, and the first section is all about knowing yourself and being authentic to you, not taking the quick win to whatever will lead to a sale or a commission. And and the second part, we dive deep into knowing your customer, which I'll come back to. And the third part, 
in order of importance, we get to really the tactile side of being strategic around your selling and, you know, staying in your lane, so to speak, and, and really knowing how to dominate your market with your skill set and your values and your unique value proposition. So like I say, the first reason we wanted to write the book, there are a lot of true great professionals who could be of great service to others who are running terrible businesses because they can't get behind selling. But that's, that's really an issue, isn't it? And I, I reckon I would hear weekly, somebody would say to me, either be selling and or marketing, that they talk about their business and before they finish the sentence, they'll say, "That's I'm, I'm, I don't like that bit. I'm not very good at that bit. That bit's a problem for me. That bit I'm not getting right. I got all these things, but there's my, there's my Achilles heel. How, how does the book help people get over that psychology, Stan? Like how do you help somebody get through that, I'm not good at that, I don't like that bit, I don't want to? Great question. And the first way that it helps is we align the purpose with what needs to happen. If you can't align your strategy with your purpose, then you're doing things just because if you're doing them at all. And Mm -hmm. so, well, the other thing with that that I like to tell people is if you can't get behind selling, how long can you afford to keep your business a secret? (laughs) That's gold. You know, it's, it's, we all are in sales. You guys know this. Canadian gold. Uh, We were influenced by a number of people of wonderful authors and and uh, the list begins with Dan Pink who has written To Sell as Human and Drive and a lot of great work and one of mm-hmm. uh, Pink's findings in To Sell as Human when they did a study across North America was that while only 9% of Americans and 10% of Canadians and it, I, I'm thinking the research would apply to Australians, New Zealanders, and and Brits, you name it. But basically, 10% of the population is in sales. However, the average employee spends 40% of their time doing what they call non-sales selling. You know, things like negotiating, uh, competing for budget dollars, competing for resources, convincing people that their idea will work. And so... If we can realize that, we all are in sales. And uh, so, uh, you know, I'm in sales all day. When I come home, I I haven't sold anything. My wife makes all the decisions. (laughs) Has the psychology of selling changed in the last decade, Stan? We hope it will continue to change. And that's the second reason we wrote the book. So one of the things we did, inspired by the work of Pink and others, Jeb Blount, Fanatical Prospecting, and, and many others in the space, We actually conducted our own survey. And so we interviewed people from Australia to Canada to the United States to India, you name it, thousands of people. And what we asked was a simple question. And it was, when dealing with a salesperson, how do you want to be treated? How do you want to make your purchase? And we got, of all the responses, of course, you guys can imagine hundreds and thousands of responses when we went through the work to statistically organize the data, we found 32 distinct trends, uh, all included in the book. But the number one trend uh, was listen and understand my needs before suggesting anything. Mm. And, and when we really got to number two, number three, number four, 
basically when we summarize the data, 94.5% of all the ways the suggestions right from consumers' mouths, the way they want to be dealt with, the way they want to be sold to, the way they want to buy, is all to do with the soft skills of the sales professional. And we had a hunch, but think about it. How is most sales training taught? Basically, it's going to be one of those, you know, Gary, Robbo, here's your product knowledge. Learn the manual. And then when you learn the manual, you're going to learn overcoming objections and you're going to learn closing techniques. None of that relates to the actual customers. How do you know if you're in front of the right customer? How do you know if you're in front of the wrong customer? And how do they actually want to buy? Mm. And so going back to the first reason, we actually take three chapters to help people understand and align with their values, their purpose, why they're doing what they do for a career. We also offer three archetypes of sales professional and people can identify which one they are so they don't feel forced to fit a square peg in a round hole. And, and so again, going back to why we wrote the book, it's learning how to be authentic in your own shoes. Uh, Cause if I copy, I'm not gonna out Gary Gary. I'm not going to be able to copy Gary and beat him at his own game. So the, my best pathway to success is to be Stan, is to do the things that I do well. I can't compete with Catherine with what she is brilliant at, nor can I touch what Lee does because he's amazing at that, but I can succeed in my own lane. So we try to teach that, and then we teach how you want to buy and what the great news, especially for those people who don't consider themselves salespeople, is by just being of service, by listening, by truly caring about the person who's in front of you who has needs, you can actually be a kick-ass salesperson without being salesy, slimy, slick, or any of those things. It's interesting you mentioned the word career then, Stan. I'm just curious, do you think today's workers see sales or selling as a career choice? I hope they would. If they're smart, they would because the statistics are out there, whether it's generational, you know, millennials being different than Gen Xers, being different than baby boomers, being different than traditionalists. Through each, uh, you know, younger generation, there'll be more stops along the career journey. And in there, we think that the loyalty is going downhill and all that. This is not just a generational thing. There might be declining loyalty on the corporate level and business is ever more competitive. But if someone is listening to this and they're in their 20s or, you know, about to head off to college, I would implore them to examine sales as a career because of all of the transferable skills for someone who career path A doesn't work out and they want to go down career path B, two of the most transferable skills that I can think of would be sales and leadership. If you can Mm -hmm. master those skills You've got a future. I don't care what the industry is. I don't care what the company is. Those skills aren't going out of style anytime soon. That's gold. Maple gold. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Two words. Maple gold. Canadian gold right there. Syrupy gold. Love it. But it's such, a, it's such an interesting thing, Stan, because, and I'm going to take it, just going to get Robert to take the, the bus on this little off ramp for a second. Um, the. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting when you you think about career choices and how that even that word today has got a different meaning than it would have you know back in our day when we were kids growing up. But 
I was reading an article recently by the guy who runs Harvard, and he said that any student going to Harvard next year, by the time they leave Harvard, what they learned in the first year of Harvard is now redundant. And we spoke to Kyla Colbin from Singularity University, and I said to Kyla, if you, were, if you had a show on going to university today, what would your advice be based on what the guys from Harvard are saying? And she said, make sure that whatever you do, it's not so much the topic you choose, but the skills you learn in that are transferable into anything. I like the idea of how you've even taken it one more step forward to say, learn how to sell, learn how to lead. And those things are transferable. So what I'm, I guess I'm getting at, Stan, is I'm getting a picture. If you had a child going into university and they're not sure what to do, there's kind of a sub-layer to say, well, it doesn't really matter what you do. If you learn to learn, if you love the learning process and you embrace the learning part and you understand selling and you understand leadership, it doesn't really matter where you end up. It's going to be transferable. It's kind of a... It's kind of a profound way to look at sales, isn't it? I'm glad you feel that way. And and going back to the whole point, I would absolutely advise my son similarly uh, as the, the team from Singularity U, who, by the way, I'm familiar with their work and they're doing great stuff. Uh, yeah. I would advise my son, Chase, very similarly. Uh, he's a few years away from university. But the fact of the matter is, uh, one of the big gripes, if you will, um, in speaking with leadership, with professors in leadership and uh, in sales, because I, I do a lot of you know, speaking at universities, is there's this frustration that university is supposed to be exactly, as you mentioned, a place to learn to learn. You know, not what to learn, but how to learn. Yeah. And more and more people, though, when you look at any industry, it has to bend to what its consumers want. Uh, you know, if you open a lemonade stand and all your customers want fresh baked pies, it's only a matter of time before you no longer have said lemonade stand if you don't bend to your customer need. And universities are no different. So people are coming to university with this need of how they're going to apply their degree directly to the workforce later. And so universities are starting to look more like technical institutes because it has to be more and more uh, applicable in the field. And that's beneficial because we have to arm our workforce of tomorrow to keep up with the ever-increasing pace of business. However, to your point, we cannot be naive enough to think that we go to school for four years and we are now armed for a 40-year career in business. It does not work that way anymore. Something that was of interest I found in the book, Stan, was... You, you wrote the book in order to help people understand how to sell without compromising their integrity. And I think it goes back to when we first sort of got you on the line is people feel as though selling has a bad vibe, bad reputation about it. How do you, how do you talk people through that, that, learning how to sell without compromising your integrity? It's such an interesting, interesting line. Absolutely. Happy to dive in. And so this really goes into that first section of the book again. But what we are, our postulates are that our, your customers have needs. And so to, to elaborate on that, you know, when's the last time you walked into an appliance store with no need whatsoever for a fridge or a dishwasher? Have you guys done mm. that in the last year? Yeah, can't say that I have, Robert. 
Of course. Right. No, why would you I have your time? <laughs> Why would you waste your time, right? And so, you know, we know there's an expression for people who are just perusing and, and we're not talking about a mall. Okay. So retail might be a bit different because there are people killing time or, or kicking tires as the saying goes, but in most businesses, whether it's online or whether someone has to drive to a physical location, you have to assume your customers are there on purpose and that they're self-interested enough that they're not going to waste their own time. So another way of saying that is that your customers have needs. So the second postulate we have is that if you are a consummate professional, if you are studious in what you do, if you've gone to school and you've got the years of work experience, then you are a professional. Forget being a salesperson, you're a professional and you have skills and you have experience and you have wisdom that could benefit your potential customer. So if those two things are the case, then the third postulate we offer is that it is your moral duty to act in your customer's best interests. And if you can act in your customer's best interest to serve their needs to the highest possible level, then you'll be a great salesperson. And if you don't do that, somebody else who's less ethical than you would be more than happy to take their money and offer them an inferior service. So it's your job to give that person the best solution to their needs you possibly can. Forget selling. Gee, that's good, Stan. That's, that's, if, if, is that the biggest mindset change we have to make towards selling, Stan? Based on what you just said, is that the biggest mindset shift that you think we have to make? The, most people get into service industries. I don't care if you're a doctor, if you're a fitness trainer, physiotherapist, if you uh, are a financial advisor, most people get into those industries to help people. And if that's the reason you got into the industry, all we're asking people to do is to help people to the greatest of your abilities. Now, here's an example, because before I started my executive coaching practice, I owned a couple businesses over an 18 year span in health and fitness and medical. So, you know, Darren, let's say you come into a clinic and you want to uh, you want to run a marathon, but in order to run the marathon, you've got to heal a knee injury, and you know you wouldn't mind say dropping ten pounds. Okay, those are your goals. Let's say, sure, right? If that's the case, and if I am a real student of my field then it's my job to recommend a running plan and maybe set you up with a fitness trainer who can also do strengthening and exercises for your knee. I should recommend a physiotherapist who can properly assess and then diagnose that knee injury and recommend a proper uh, re rehabilitation plan. And maybe around the 10 pounds, the fitness trainer should also be combined with a nutritionist or dietitian. That is the optimal approach to achieve all of those goals and know that team should be communicated. So as a, as a professional in my field, that is the recommendation to answer the question you have in terms of when you say, here's my goals, here's where I want to get there. That's what, that's my job, period, end of sentence. Now, when it becomes sales and where people become uncomfortable is if the money comes up, but it's not our job to deal with the money. It's our job to make the recommendation. And mm -hmm. if our prospect comes back and says, whoa, whoa, you know, that's Gary, that's a lot of money. Then our job 
is to provide an alternate. Okay, well, listen, Darren, we might not get you there in the six months that you wanted to if you can't meet that budget. But, you know, let's find a way to make this work with your budget. That's what a good salesperson can do. And some of the best salespeople on the planet find ways to help their their customers find the money. It's interesting, Stan. It's something I've, I've come to believe is that people listen to podcasts of people like yourself who've been successful. And here you are, two and a half weeks into it, Amazon bestseller on three charts. However, what people don't understand is there was a time in your life where you were homeless. If you think back to that time and you apply what you've just written about that's on an Amazon bestsellers list, if you would apply that to the absolute bare bones, let's take it right back to when you were homeless. Because people go, oh, yeah, but it's okay for Stan. Oh, yeah, but it's okay for them. Oh, it's, uh, but w- when you're homeless, you're starting at ground zero, if not below ground zero. How would you apply this? How would you start to apply it, putting yourself back in that position with what you've written in this book? What would be the absolute starting point for someone who's in that position that you could apply this? We take away all the barriers, all the reasons not to do it. How would you apply it? Well, first of all, I'm glad you brought that up because – a lot of times when you get onto these podcasts, I like to feed my brain. I have to, you know, leaders are readers. I'm constantly, you know, listening to something motivational or educational. And a lot of times we do have this mental barrier. Oh, well, of course that works for Tony Robbins, or of course that works for Ed Milet, or that works for Richard Branson, or any of these people. The fact of the matter is they're people too, and they've come through their own journey. And To answer your question more directly, the first thing I would have done and the reason I was homeless in the first place is I had no goals. And so the principles that are in this book, the first beginning of it is really about what are you here to do? We don't, you know, maybe you don't have to answer the big question like what's the point of life? That's a tough one. And that's been stewing the noodle of people way before Plato or Socrates, right? But if you can at least understand that we are here to do more with our work than just cash a paycheck. There should be meaning behind what we do. Does it have to be profound meaning? No, but I do believe there's no softer pillow than a clear conscience. And so if you can feel good about what you do and how you earn your money, for, for a lot of people, that's fantastic. That is a life well lived. And I applaud people like that who can feel great at the end of the day about what they do and the ethics that they, uh, on how they do it. So so going back to the book and and how to apply those principles, if you feel like you're at rock bottom or that there's no way that some wisdom from some book on sales can apply to you, just start with what you want your day and your life to look like. Because if you're not happy with where you are right now, then your hunch is true. You are meant for more and there is more to life. And the bad news is no one is going to give you those answers. But the good news is no one's going to give you those answers. You get to come up with them for yourself. And this is where we want to get in a creative state. This is where we want to get in a limitation-free state. So if I were to coach me those decades ago, I would make sure, I would kick that guy's ass and take him on a hike, a hard one, by the way. And I would make sure that hike uh, had several points along the way that you know old me wanted to quit. And when you can get through something like that, when you can go through controlled adversity, you know, safe, controlled adversity that takes you to your limits, but
but doesn't take you just past. And you have to come face to face with your limitations and overcome them. That's when people believe they're capable of anything. And that, my friends, that's when you set your goals. You don't set your goals when you're at rock bottom. Because when you're at rock bottom, you know, having a less shitty life is a goal. But when you're at the top of a mountain, then taking over the world in a good way is a goal. And that's where you want to come up with your, your trajectory, you know, the compass for your life and your future. And then what I would take from the book is you got to get busy living because no one's going to do it for you. And you just got to take more action. And you know what? You're going to get shot down. This is my third book. My fourth book, which is not ready yet, it'll be ready probably in about 18 months, is interviews with the top leaders in the world. And to write that book, I've been shot down by the Dalai Lama. But guess what? I had the brass, I, I had the brass set to reach out to the Dalai Lama in the first place, and Obama, and Oprah, and Richard Branson. I did confidence to reach out to those people. If that's the book I want to write, then I, not them, are the one. I'm the one standing between my my success and what I want to achieve. So I refuse to play small and I refuse to get in my own way. So I have no problem uh, reaching out, making a cold call uh, and just taking a big home run swing. Who cares if the return is low? When you do connect on a home run swing, everybody goes, oh my God, how the hell did you do that? And they didn't see all the attempts you took and missed. And even if they did, they've forgiven you when all of a sudden you do land an interview with the Dalai Lama or whatever your massive success is. Robbo, did we, um, did we miss the phone call, the email from Stan about being in the book? Um, we might have missed that email. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think, think you were we, Dalai Lama, Branson, Buffett, Musk, <laughs> Mojo Radio Show. I, um, I don't know. There's something... I don't recall getting a call. Well, I was going to say interesting yeah. also that none of those people have returned our emails either. <laughs> you know, I came prepared for the interview, but I forgot my own shovel to bury myself after that. I should have reached out to you, Jeff. Fine, folks. Uh, look, we're busy with other interviews anyway, you know. It's a busy life. Yeah, we wouldn't have replied. We, we want to be like the Dalai Lama. Oh, we would have right. said, no, we're not replied yeah. like Branson. Yeah. So uh, well, we want to be all the big guys. But uh, we got you now, mate. That's what... We've got you now, and I'm going to say, Stan, I could, I could talk to you for two hours on a long-form show and we'd never cover the same topic twice. I absolutely love getting on the line with you. It's been a, um, it's just great, mate. You have got a, a really nice take, down-to-earth, authentic take on stuff. Uh, it's a real pleasure to talk to you, mate. Appreciate that, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to talk to you guys and uh I, you know, I will say in my own defense, although I didn't interview for the book, we, Catherine and I did try to send you guys beer and maple cookies. And <laughs> do you remember our talk? You remember our talk, Catherine? I think you guys talked about sweets. I mean, big shocker. You and I, we got, we, uh, we talked about beer. And so we actually <laughs> sent you a care package all the way from Canada and it never arrived. So oh, uh, really? what's going on? I don't know what I know. I don't know what border. And by the way, I might be on a travel blacklist for saying this on your show, but I don't know between Canada, Australia, or maybe a few points in between there's a border service agency who's having a good time. I was going to say, Gary, I reckon we take a walk down to Mascot airport and look for fat busted border control. Who's sitting there eating our biscuits and drinking our beer. Yeah. Yeah. Making a television show about what they found. That's right. (laughs) 
Exactly. Yeah. How yeah. Dare they? Of course, they, they probably threw someone under the bus too. Oh, this suspicious individual. <laughs> yeah, tried to that's right. They, Look they at this. Don't, they don't show what happened to the contraband after that. Well, we've been trading uh, Vegemite around the world lately, so you know we're sort of on the <laughs> on a similar footing. I've got to say, yeah, Sam, yeah. just we wrap this up and tell people where to find the book. I have to say thank you to you because we we've been doing. We're about to go to our sixth season. And we have some people who are very close to us in terms of people we would say are mates. And what people should understand is that you hung up the phone from our first interview, which was some 12 months ago, and you said, I'm going to hook you up with people. And I kid you not, there was a, there was a stream of introductions you did to Martin Reeder, the Canadian beach volleyball Olympian, and Catherine, who was awesome. And you have got great people around you who all speak very, very highly of you, but you hooked us up and we had just some fantastic chats. In fact, Martin said he'd come back on the show again next year because there was lots more we wanted to talk to him about with the, the mental approach to Olympics and him as an individual, as a man. So um, so thanks, mate. You're, you're a good mate of the show. Oh, much appreciated. We, I mean... When I was when I first heard about you guys, just the name had me. And then I mentioned it this last time. I have been on a lot of different podcasts, and I can say with no disrespect to any other podcast host, I've never come across two individuals that do the due diligence and the homework that you guys do. I was blown away by the care and the time you put in to really help your guests shine. And so I appreciate that because I definitely feel, as I'm sure all of your previous guests do, that you're a huge part of their marketing team. So thank you for being students of the game and, and just artists of your craft. I appreciate that. Oh, that means a lot. That's, uh, that's high praise, mate. If we had one of your Canadian Absolutely. beers, we'd, uh, we'd raise it to two. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> So I gotta um, remember, Canadian beers are strong too. So you don't want to have too many of those before you go live on air. No, <laughs> mate, when next when you when next year in Australia, we'll we'll get you a Darwin stubby. Then you know you're drinking a beer. Don't worry about Robo. <laughs> Robo's what, what, in, in Australia we call Robo's piss fit. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. Hey, mate, uh, you mentioned Amazon for the book. It's on. You said as we started the show, it's on three lists at the top of the list at the moment after two and a half weeks. Is that the best place to send people? They'll find it pretty easy. The book is called How to Sell in Any Economy. Is that where you'd send people to Amazon? Yeah, Amazon.com, Amazon.au. It's Amazon. I mean, you could go to the Denmark, the Japanese, the Mexican, the Canadian, the American. It's basically on every Amazon marketplace you can find. So if you just Google the book, um, and go to Amazon, it's there. I don't care where you are. We've had people buy it from the UK, from everywhere. So, uh, but much appreciated. And and within that book, there's all kinds of links to resources. Um, and we actually are pretty candid. We want to make sure that we help people beyond the book. And so there's a direct link in there to, to my social media profiles, Lee Cassell's profiles, Catherine Brownlee's profiles. And I know both of them, that if any readers of the book had a challenge, a question, and they wanted to reach out directly, we're happy to help people over email because our vision is a world where business is a force for good. We're not writing these books so that people can email them and we charge them a consulting fee to reply to an email. Hell no. That's nice. So your vision is to help business be a force for good. Is that, was that right? That's right. I, I, my future state, which I will never see in my lifetime, 
is where every customer can trust their wallet with every business in the world. And in, in order to do that, I want to make sure that all leaders are triple bottom line focused. They are all about maximizing profit, but also developing and cultivating their people and positively impacting their communities. And so my overarching mission throughout my career is to impact a million people in that that fit that description. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're well on our way, but uh, a lot more to go, which is great because I have no urge or desire to retire anytime soon. I love what I'm doing. I'm having the most fun I've ever had in my career. And I just, I love doing the work we're doing, talking to great folks like you guys, working with great people like Catherine and Lee and sharing the message and helping others. I know there's a good place you could start here in Australia with your mission is the is our banks. <laughs> They're in a lot of trouble at the moment, I'll tell you Mate, what. There's a list. Is, is our cricket team, our banks, our airlines? I mean, <laughs> goodness me. Yeah. Well, it sounds like I'd be, it sounds like there's a lot of work to do. I could go down there and learn how to be piss fit and help those organizations. <laughs> See, we're learning and so are you. Isn't that the great thing exactly. about this show? Amen. You'd have to do some training though, mate. So if you're prepared to put in the work next to Robbo, then I reckon we can get you piss fit. Yeah, I'm a very goal-oriented individual. I think I can get there. What 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 size are you, mate? What 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 sort of what sort of weight range are you fall into? Uh, I'm uh, a Clydesdale. I'm I'm running at about 220. Okay. Um, a little bit different composition than when yeah. I played football in university, but yeah. you know. I was going to say, uh, you mentioning football. I was going to say, mate, I could probably find you a spot with the uh, the Withered Oaks, my rugby team. It could probably get you in the front row there somewhere <laughs> at that size. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to maybe think I can still pull off as a flanker, not not directly going in as a prop. <laughs> so, as a downhill bike expert you'd uh, you'd have some gravity behind you wouldn't you <laughs> I, oh i did yeah yeah an expert that's that's kind praise uh you know that's probably why i broke my back downhill mountain biking <laughs> is due to said gravity <laughs> well i've uh i got plenty more to talk to you about the new book will be so this book is currently amazon grab it it's, it is a great read, and I think you've done a really nice job of summarising what people will get from it, and then uh, we'll no doubt put a note in the diary to get you back on with your new one, mate, which is, do you yeah. want 18 months? I'd, I'd say so. I'm, you know, earmarking 2020 because uh, we actually wanted to publish this book earlier, but, you know, we wanted to do it right rather than rushed, and, and we're thrilled that the results have been what they've been. So uh, I'm a very... Uh, as my EA says, I'm a very intense individual and I'm very goal oriented. So uh, we all have things to work on. And, and the thing I'm trying to learn uh, in my 40s still is patience. But uh, maybe maybe by the time I'm 50, that'll be a good goal. You know, it's interesting, just as an aside before I let you go, that um, that word I'm hearing a lot in the last probably six months, Stan, is there something Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, who is killing it at the moment with you know, his social profile and brand and everything else. And it's one of his key messages. And he shares, I think he shares a lot of good stuff, but one of his key messages is patience, is that we are not patient anymore. We're not prepared to do the work and be patient for the result. It's interesting hearing you say that. And I've heard a few guests on the show mention that through the interview. And um, it is one of those themes. We tend to find themes running over a season, and I think that's one that I'm starting to hear from the from the people who are more astute. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up. You know, it's it's a it's a fine balance, and I should probably elaborate. Uh, you know, is that 
The challenge is remaining patient yet tenacious. That's the challenge is when you're hitting it, you're hitting your business as hard as you can. You're out there networking, you're out there prospecting, you're building your brand, you're, you're building your copy behind the scenes. You're up early, you're up late, you're out there all day. And then you're patient because, you know, for most people, when they start their own business, they're going to work harder than they ever have in their entire lives. However, the, the results don't happen as fast as they might when you're working for another organization because your ability to contribute to a direct result um, is more convoluted. You know, when you work your butt off, when you have a job, you finish a project, you finish a report, you, you sell a few more customers, but when you have to wear all the hats and you have to build your business from scratch, you don't see the results on your timeline. You see those results on the timeline of your market and their interest in what you're doing. So that's why patience is so hard when you've worked your ass off and your bank says, watch out, do something quick. And you know, you're fatigued and you're exhausted, uh, but you still got to get up and do it all over again. That's when patience is tough. That's a good line though, isn't it? Patient yet tenacious. Yeah, we should trademark that, fellas, right now, right here. That, yeah. that's a, that, that'll Write be a down. t-shirt by Friday afternoon, mate. It's already on the wall. <laughs> I've, I've already written it on the wall. <laughs> and you know what? Can I, can I tell you something, Mr. Stampeak? On the studio wall, there is a saying, and there aren't a lot, but in five seasons we've pulled some crackers out, but there is a Stampeak saying on the wall, which is, hold my beer and watch this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you I know how many times I've used that going. down at the pub? My goodness. I, Isn't that I should great, thank though? you for that. Patient yet absolutely. tenacious. I reckon that will be a T-shirt. Yeah. That's Thank good. You. If I can give you one more, uh, yeah. my approach to sales that I try to teach all my clients is approachable relentlessness. And, and with that, I mean, if it's a, unless it's a hard no, it's a maybe yes. And how dare you stop? So you're going to be polite. You're going to be approachable. You're going to use common sense. You're going to vary your approach, but you're going to keep after it until you get told to F off or you get a contract signed in front of you approachable relentlessness, and we never stop if it's a maybe. Do you know, it's funny, Stan, I was talking to Robbo about this just yesterday. We were recording an intro to next week's show, and I was talking about the communication with guests. So you find you read a book by somebody and they're a best-selling author and the top of their game and you want to write to them to get them on the show. And quite often you don't get an answer, as you have obviously done with your book, you don't get an answer. And then you've got to go back a couple of weeks later and then there's an art and a skill to writing the follow-up letter. And there's an art and a, and a skill to writing up the following letter where you don't get no answer back in four weeks' time. And I've, I found, I, I treat it like a game now. Like I actually see it as a game to say, how do I write in such a way to get a response or to pique this person's interest to at least reply? But I do think that that term, approachable relentlessness, is the best way to sum up what I am uneloquently saying. Well, don't get me wrong. I've got a lot of things I still say uneloquently, but so thank you. That is high praise. <laughs> this is Tate Fletcher, Cage Fighter. Listen to Mojo Radio Show, or I'll be coming to see you. Just uh, interestingly, when we talk about the catalyst by approach, one of the great guests who will be coming up on the show shortly is a guy called Martin Parnell who ran 250 marathons in one year. <laughs> Can you get that? <laughs> Think about that. 
I've, Martin I've Parnell ran That's 250 nothing. marathons in a year. He's a Pussy. TEDx speaker, author, multi-Guinness book world record holder. If you were serious, you'd do 365 in a year, let's be honest. That's nothing. And he said of the book, Martin said this, how to sell in any economy gives you a clear roadmap to success. The key takeaway, know your customers' needs and know yourself. You are all in sales. So uh, high praise for the book. The book's very good. Uh, and we will be talking to Martin Parnell very shortly on the show, which um, thanks to Stan again. So there you go. Now, pop quiz, hot shot. The Mojo Radio Show. Pop quiz, hot shot. Again? <laughs> This is this one's a, this one's a toughie. So, uh, okay. settling kids is a little mm. story. I'm going to read you out a piece that I found online. It's kind of like a little mini blog, but I think it's very profound. Your job is to tell me who wrote it. So, okay. Lola, play some story time music. I'm on it. Beautiful things grow out of shit. Nobody ever <laughs> believes that. Everybody thinks that Beethoven had his string quartets completely in his head. They somehow appeared there and formed in his head. And all he had to do was write them down and they would manifest to the world. But what I think is so interesting and would really be a lesson that everybody should learn is that things come out of nothing. Things evolve out of nothing. You know, the tiniest seed in the right solution turns into the most beautiful forest. And then the most promising seed in the wrong situation turns into nothing. I think this would be important for people to understand because it gives people the confidence in their own lives to know that's how things work. If you walk around with the idea that there are some people who are so gifted They have these wonderful things in their head, but you're not one of them. You're just sort of a normal person. You could never do anything like that. Then you live a different kind of life. You could have another kind of life where you say, well, I know that things come from nothing very much. Start with an unpromising beginnings and I'm an unpromising beginning and I could start something. It's cool, isn't it? That's very cool. I can't. I I can tell you who it's not, <laughs> but I have no idea who it is. That's all good, right. So this guy writing, is though. known as a brilliant conceptualist, a founding member of Roxy Music. Oh, is that Brian Ferry? <clears throat> no. I'll keep going. A self-described non-musician. Oh. A producer for you too. Oh, um, Mr. Brian Eno, perhaps. It is Mr. Brian Eno. And what I take from that, and I think we can close with this, is that I think too many people look at others and think, I could never do that. That's not me. They've got something special. And in Brian Eno's term, the shit is within us all. All we need to do is to believe in it, feed it, give it room to grow, develop it, and then most importantly, action them. Create, start, get your journal, write, make a call, do something, move. Because we are all one of them and we need to be one of them 
every day. And I just, I just love that piece. I think Brian Eno is very, very profound, mm. has done some amazing work in his career. I've been a Brian Eno fan since he was, he was doing solo work, I think, back when I was about 17, which is, as you can imagine, a ways ago. So, uh, producer's no, really? choice. <laughs> producer's choice. What Brian Eno track shall we play out with? Oh, man. You're throwing it on me now. Um... Let's go back. Let's go back to let's go back to the Joshua Street tree maybe where the streets have no name. Right.
The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.